The following sermon is brought to you by New Covenant Community Church, a Bible-based church located on Route 62 east of Johnstown, Ohio. To learn about New Covenant Community Church, visit www.new-covenant.org. Again, that is new-covenant.org. Now, enjoy the message. Well, good morning, New Covenant Community Church. What a blessing it is to be in God's house. This is not our place. This is God's. And I pray that everything we do say and think inside these walls would be, would be honoring to our God and King. You know, I don't know about you, but uh, Colin, thank you. This is my friend Colin, by the way. I realized that I forgot to introduce him. He is a friend of mine, and, and he's making me feel very old this morning because uh, he was in my youth group. And here he is having graduated with a degree in college and, and off working, doing different things, and I'm just feeling old this morning. So, But uh, we're, we're thankful for Colin. And, uh, you know, it's just funny. I, I mean, he just, I, I appreciate him leading us in worship, and I don't know about you, but I know my heart was considering God and being brought to the foot of the cross. But when he first came up here, and as I was just thinking this morning, I think, you know, every time I see Colin, I think I disagree with the exception of, like, things in the Bible. I pretty much disagree with him on everything. But I still love the guy. I mean, I would, I would take a bullet for him. And him and I disagree on so much. But, but, the, but the bond that we have in the Lord, our soul being satisfied in Jesus, is the common bond that would cause me to take a bullet for him. And I would not even have to think about it. And I hope the same is true for all of us together as God's family. If you're like me, in our world today as a Christian, it can become very discouraging. And you see things in the news and you hear things. And, 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 I, and I get depressed sometimes honestly when I think about all the things that are happening in our world today and uh, but I, I want to encourage us this morning just before I even get to the sermon that uh, that God is at work in our world uh, Jesus is still in the business of saving people uh, just this past week I was with a ministry friend of mine actually someone who has preached from this pulpit before and he said that nations and countries that America has been sending missionaries to for decades they are now getting to the point where these countries used to ask, they say, send support, send missionaries, send support, send missionaries. And these countries are now saying, send people to teach us how to send our own missionaries. And God is at work. Countries that we could not even, Americans could not even get into that other countries can. And it's amazing what God is doing and the work that He's doing. Last weekend I was in class at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, in the class that I was sitting in. I was only one of a few white people in this place, and the rest of them were from all over the globe, and they're coming here to get an education to go back into their homelands and to be pastors and missionaries, and, and God is at work. The thing that I know is the hot-button thing right now that everybody's talking about is, and I never, you know, I had the weirdest week of ministry of my entire life. I was worshiping Jesus to a Kanye West song. Y'all, that's crazy. I never thought I would see the day and i know and if you if you know about this he's a popular hip-hop rap type artist that has made a profession of faith if you don't know about him and, and i've been doing some research and and it certainly seems to me like he has had a legitimate confession of faith and that he has been born again and i know a lot of christians are saying well he'll never live it out you know and maybe he won't maybe he will all i know is that if it is true praise be unto god that jesus is still saving people the Holy Spirit is still drawing people and still calling people. God is at work around us. And my prayer for us is that New Covenant Community Church would be in the wake of that. 
that we would not recreate the wheel, the wheel, that we would simply place ourselves in God's will by being humble servants before Him, and that we would join Him in the work that He is doing. So before I begin, let me pray together. God, you it, it was an immeasurable measure of your grace and mercy that would even allow us to be here today, God. That we could be your children, or even if we're not your children this morning, even, even if there are those in this room this morning who don't know you, that are still unsure, that maybe have made a public profession of faith, but they know in their heart that it wasn't legitimate. Father, you've dealt mercifully with us to allow us to be here, extending your grace, extending your hand to us through your Son, who paid the price that we deserve to have had to have paid. So Father, we come to you humbled, knowing that if you are to work among us, God, if, if your Holy Spirit were to draw us, to speak to us, to, to convict our hearts, to change us, then God, we will leave here forever different. God, I pray that I would decrease. Let the words of Ben Sweeterman be drowned out among the noise of your powerful, sweet, saving voice. Father, we love you. I pray that the moments that we share together inside these walls would bless your name and lift your name high. In Jesus' name, and everybody says, amen. If you've got a Bible, I'd like for you to go to Exodus chapter 33. Second book in the Old Testament, Exodus chapter 33. We've been in the book of 1 Peter, and we'll get back to it these next two weeks today. And next week will be standalone messages because we have special things going on those days, and I felt the Lord lead me in this way. Going to Exodus chapter 33 will be our text today, verses 7 through 11. And if you're not familiar with the book of Exodus, we catch up in this particular text that we're going to, going to be in. Starting in verse 7 of Exodus 33, we get to the point where Moses has led through God's leadership, has led the children of Israel out of bondage, out of Egypt. They're now free people. They're in the wilderness. Moses goes up on Mount Sinai to, to meet with God and to pray and to hear God's direction. And as he's coming back down into the camp of Israel, he hears a sound. And it's not one of mourning, it's one of rejoicing and dancing. And he finds that they have built this golden calf. And Moses learns very quickly that, that the same thing that's wrong with all the hearts of the people of Israel is the same thing that's wrong with our hearts today, that we are utterly in depravity without God. And, and, and we will worship something. And if we don't worship the true living God, we'll worship something else. And, and idolatry is, is, is caught up in our hearts. And Moses learned these things about people very quickly. So if we look to our text, Exodus chapter 33, looking to verse 7. And to be quite honest with you, I'm not even... Where, Jaren, where's Jaren at? There he is. I say, I'm not even really sure why the rest of you showed up because this message today I feel like God has laid on my heart for Jaren. So I'm, I should just move this whole thing over here and just set it right in front of Jaren because it, this, today is for him. We're going to be baptizing him in just a little while. Exodus 33, verse 7. It says, Moses took his tent and pitched it outside the camp far from camp, and called it the tabernacle of meeting. And it came to pass that everyone who sought the Lord went out to the tabernacle of meeting, which was outside the camp. So it was, whenever Moses went out to the tabernacle, that all the people rose, and each man stood at his tent door, 
and watched Moses until he had gone into the tabernacle. And it came to pass when Moses entered the tabernacle that the pillar of cloud descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle. And the Lord talked with Moses. And all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the tabernacle door. And all the people rose and worshipped, each man in his tent door. So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And he would return to the camp, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. If you believe that this is God's word, say amen. In the Old Testament, or in the Old Covenant, God would meet with man in a tent, or a tabernacle, or a temple. Later, we know that Solomon built the temple, a marvelous, huge building that was extravagant. At this particular time, the nation of Israel is they're living this vagabond lifestyle in the desert, and all they have is a tent. They set up a tent. It was a place that God would meet in this place with man to give them direction, to seek guidance, and, and it had to be a place. It was a place where people would go into. And, and something wonderful happened when Jesus came. And when He was crucified on that cross, in Matthew chapter 27, in the tent and the temple, wherever it was that people were gathering together to meet with God, there was a large veil or a large curtain. Now we think of a window curtain. This would have been something very thick. It was a very wide, very, very tall would reach all the way from the top of a very high ceiling all the way to the floor, very thick. It was a very wide, thick curtain. Whether it was a tent or a tabernacle or a temple, whatever the word was for this place or the meeting place where people would meet with God, it was this very large, expansive, very substantial curtain that would sit between the two, a veil that would sit between. What it represented was was the separation between where God resides and where the people are. It's what that represented. And when Jesus came and He died on the cross, Something wonderful happened in Matthew chapter 27. It says that the veil in the temple in the city was torn from top to bottom, all the way down, showing us the representation that it was no longer God meeting in a particular place with people. It was no longer a place that you'd have to walk to, but that God would be in people, that His followers would have God inside of them. And we know that this to be true all throughout the New Testament. We know this to be true in John chapter 14, verse 20. It says, At that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Romans 8, verse 10. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19. It says, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you have from God, and you are not your own. Galatians 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life with which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. So what we see, church, is that it was no longer this place that you had to go to. It was no longer a tent that you had to go to, but now you are the tent. I am the tent. Our bodies are the tent, are the temple. It was no longer a place that you went, but God was going to reside inside of people. That's one of the differences we see between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. Now, Moses is obviously dealing with a physical tent. 
it's a tent that gets dust on it and it's out in the desert and it's, it's a tent that he would set up and it's where people would go to meet with God. And he did some things with the tent. And we see some truths, we see some realities about this tent that even though it's a different kind of tent, we're now talking about our physical bodies, you and me, we're our actual being that God resides inside of when we follow and trust Him. Moses did some things with that tent that were just smart. Yes, Moses was a prophet, he was a priest, he was a teacher, he was a great leader under humility, under God, and he was, he was wonderful in all those things that God used him mightily for. But he also had some great walking around sense. He had a head on, on his shoulders that just worked. He had common sense, which anymore in today's world is like having a superpower. But he had common sense. He, had, he did some good things. And if you look back to verse 7, we see the first thing that, that he did or that we notice about the tent. It says, Moses took his tent and pitched it outside the camp, far from the camp, and called it the tabernacle of meeting. And it came to pass that everyone who sought the Lord went out to the tabernacle of meeting, which was outside the camp. Daisy's not too happy about that. The first thing that we see Moses doing when he comes off that mount, off Mount Sinai, and he sees the sinfulness of the people, he takes this tent and he says, I'm not going to have this tent in the camp. If God is going to meet with, with mankind in this tent, I'm getting it outside of the camp. I'm getting it outside of the go with the flow. I'm getting it outside of the be like everyone else. I'm getting it outside of just follow the leader. I'm getting it outside of all that. I'm getting it outside. So what I want to tell you this morning, Jaron, church, keep your tent far from camp. Keep your tent that has the Holy Spirit residing inside of it. Keep it outside the camp. Is your tent outside the camp this morning? Because the great battle, the great struggle that Christians all over our nation and all over our world struggle is just how far they want that tent to be close to that camp. Most people want it outside the camp, but they still want it close to the border. They still want to see some of the things that people inside the camp see and do some of the things. They want to have some separation, but Moses said, no, I'm getting it far from camp. Isn't it funny in that one verse? In verse 7, it says, outside the camp, far from camp, outside the camp. He repeated himself three times in one verse to get the point across that the tent was outside the camp. Proverbs 13, verse 20 says, He who walks with wise men will be wise. But the companion, everyone say companion, the companion of fools will be destroyed. So you don't even have to be a fool. You just have to be a companion of one. That's the, and if, if it didn't say that, if it just says those who walk with wise men will be wise and if you're a fool you'll be destroyed, Moses may have only gone just a couple hundred feet. But no, he was outside the camp. He was far from camp. He wanted to be outside the camp. And it's funny because even secular psychologists know this to be true. They tell you that totally secular, completely don't give any credence to the Bible whatsoever. They will tell you that you will be most like even down to how much money you make, they can estimate how much you'll make and who you'll be and the type of family you'll have based on the five people that you spend the most time around. And Moses knew this to be true. That's why he took the tent outside the camp. So I'm telling you this morning, church, let's keep our tent 
outside of the camp, outside of the world, outside of the go with the flow. Moses knew this to be true, and it was something he practiced even before he was leading the nation of Israel out of bondage. When he was in the Egyptian household, the Bible tells us in Hebrews, it says that he chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Why did Moses leave to go be a shepherd in the wilderness all those years before he came back and was used mightily of God to release the people? It's because he decided to get his tent outside of the camp and to stay away from the world and to go with the flow and do what everybody else is doing. He decided to stay outside the camp. Dads, if your dad here, know how far your family's tent is outside the camp. It's your job. That's our job. Know, know what's on your kids' phones. Know, know how far outside the camp the tent is. Be mindful of where your tent is. Be mindful of, of making sure that it's far, not just a couple steps, but far outside the camp. In the past couple weeks, last week we brought Eldon into the membership of our church and today we're going to be baptizing and bringing Jaron into the membership of our church and as I sat down and get to know them and disciple those guys and just to hear their testimony and hear their story something that you'll always hear in the heart of a true believer is you'll hear a mark there's a mark as they share with you their life and their testimony there becomes a, a definitive point at which they say I, I don't I don't want to be in the camp anymore I, I don't want to I don't want to do what everyone else does. I don't have a desire in my heart to be that way anymore, and I don't want to do it. And sure enough, with Eldon Jaron, that's exactly what I heard with both of those guys, was that there just came a point in their, in their life and when the Lord saved them when they didn't want to be in the camp anymore. And they want to have their tent outside the camp. Now, Moses is leading this nation. And if you're like me, I always thought of this nation as being like a ragtag bunch of people that maybe a few hundred. No, this was a nation of anywhere between one to two million people is the thought of how many people were in the nation of Israel. And here Moses is taking this tent way outside the camp and everybody else is in this big pack together. Out of one to two million people, there were probably at least, I'm just making a guess here, probably at least a couple hundred thousand of them that were making some great ridiculing remarks towards Moses. That idiot. Why is he he's going, taking that tent all the way out there? Why? Why doesn't he just set it up? There's a good spot perfectly right here. Why is he taking it all the way out there? Why does he have to be so different? Why does he have to be that way? So, Jaron, what I want to tell you this morning, my friend, is it's not simply a matter of if you decide to keep your tent outside the camp and you choose for your life to be outside of the go with the flow and the culture and the flow of what everybody else is doing in life, especially people your age, it's not a matter of if you'll get ridicule, it's a matter of when. So just learn to expect it. Expect that people are going to look at you just like they did Moses and they're going to think to themselves, why is he doing that? He's living his life that way. What's the point? I love what Martin Luther said. There was somebody that came up to Martin Luther and they said, does it concern you? And he, they probably said it like this too. They said, does it concern you that the whole world is against you? And I love what he said. His reaction was, good. That means I'm against the whole world. And he goes back on to doing what he's doing. Expect for those things to happen, Jaron. Just have this understanding in your heart that if you're going to decide to live for the Lord and keep your tent far from the camp, outside the camp, you can expect that there will be some naysayers. But here's what I want to tell you specifically and any young believer in the room this morning. I'm convinced, and, and I'll just ask the question, we'll do it this way. How many of you who have been saved 10 years or more, and you know without a shadow of a doubt that there is great, great joy when you keep your tent outside the camp? Raise your hand if that's you. 
Yeah, there is great joy in keeping your tent outside the camp. The greatest joy is keeping your tent outside of the go with the flow and outside of what everyone else is doing. Keeping your tent outside the camp. Keep your tent far from camp. A few years ago, I was, uh, I was canoe slash camping on the Green River in Kentucky. Beautiful river. Uh, a lot of bald eagles in that area, so we were just having a great time. Me and the guys in my family are going camping. Very hot summer day. Super hot. And we're, we're paddling along. We get to our camp spot that night, and, uh, and they, there were these little rocky kind of sandy areas that were nice and flat where you could set up a few tents. And we had a large group, so there, most of the guys set up their bigger tents on the main flat spots, and I had one of those little single-man tent-type deals, so I could just kind of throw it up anywhere. So I went up to a little bit higher ground where there was just more room. It was just out of necessity. I set up my tent where there was room, and it was up on higher ground. And we're sitting around the campfire that night, and we heard what no camper wants to hear. Thunder. <laughs> and the wind starts picking up a little bit, and it just it sounded like it was so far away. And, and we checked the forecast. We weren't sure if it was going to rain or not. And, and it just, we just weren't sure. We just get for hours as we sit there in the evening, enjoying the evening. We hear this thunder way off in the distance. Well, about midnight, it starts raining. And it wasn't lightning. It wasn't windy. It was just raining, like a lot. I mean, it was just pouring, pouring down on us. And, and everybody was in their tent, and I couldn't sleep because it was raining so hard. And I, and I hear the river that we're camped right next to, I hear it just a little bit louder than it was 20 minutes ago. So I get my flashlight, click it on, and I go outside, and, it's, and I'm just drenched. I mean, I was already wet in my tent anyway, so I just go outside, I'm drenched, and I'm looking at the river, and I realize that my, my dad and my brother's tent, who was a, originally about 20, 25 feet away from the edge of the river, it's now like 10 feet. And I thought, and, and it wasn't like a raging, you know, wash you downstream river, but it was the river level was rising. The rain was coming down, the water was coming up. So I unzip, it's downpouring rain, and I unzip my brother and my dad's tent, and the rain is, and I've got my light on, and they're looking at me trying to get the water out and everything. And I said, hey, you guys, you may need to move your tent in a little while. And my dad, it was the first time I've ever, my dad just thought I was totally foolish. He was like, it'll be fine. So I was like, all right, zip. And I go back to my tent 20 minutes later, and I'm really hearing this river start to pick up. So then I go back out, and now their tent is like two feet away from the edge of the water. They're still snoring. They would be goners if I didn't save them. It was just crazy. So I unzip it again, and I'm like, hey, you guys really need to, you know, I've got my light flashing in, rain pouring in everywhere, just tons of rain. And, and, and I was like, you guys really need to move your, your tent. The water's just not very far outside your tent. You guys need to move everything so you don't get washed away in the water. And my dad says, it'll be fine. And I said, you'll be underwater in five minutes. Move your tent. And I zipped it, and I walked away. I was kind of mad. And then five minutes later, I'm sitting there underneath the vestibule thing on my tent. And all of a sudden, all the other guys in the camp that were down on the lower ground, I see lights clicking on and zipping and things that sounded like grunts. And hopefully there was no cursing in the camp. But man, it was like just a bunch of rudely awakened men that wanted to sleep. And, and they're, they got this water starting to come up right. And, uh, and I was sitting on the higher ground, again, just by necessity. But because I was on higher ground and I was outside the camp, I got to sit there and enjoy the vantage point of the high ground. And, and Jaron, what I just want to tell you this morning is as you, as you get older, as you go through years of your life being a Christian, following the Lord Jesus Christ, and you get to my age, your dad's age, to Rick's age, as, as you grow in life 
and you've kept your tent outside the camp, you will remember back on the years when you've thought of your friends when the waters of life have risen in their life. And you will have enjoyed the blessing and the peace that coincides with having your tent outside the camp. Church, if I'm preaching a lie to you, then just get up and leave. But if, I'm, if, I, if that's the truth, say amen. There is great joy in being outside the camp. Exodus 33, look now to verse 8. So it was, whenever Moses went out to the tabernacle, that all the people rose, and each man stood at his tent door and watched Moses until he had gone into the tabernacle. And it came to pass when Moses entered the tabernacle that the pillar of the cloud descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle, and the Lord talked with Moses. All the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the tabernacle door, and all the people rose and worshipped, each man in his tent door. So here's the picture. Moses goes out to this tent that's way out yonder, out in the middle all by its lonesome, and a nation of one to two million people stand in reverence in their tent door and worship God. Why? Because Moses is talking with God. Moses is praying. And it was enough for Israel to all stand on their feet in reverence and worship God because one man was praying. So here's what I want to tell you. And you contrast that to how we pray, which is, Jesus, thank you for this meal. Thank you for this food. Amen. I mean, that's, that's how a lot of our prayers go. Here's what I want to tell you this morning, church. Meet with God in the tent regularly and see it for what it is. When Moses went into that tent to pray, the Israelites saw it for what it was. It was them getting their direction from God, their provision from God, their safety from God. Everything hinged on whether or not Moses was going to go in that tent to pray and get direction from God. And what I want to tell you this morning that we are to meet with God regularly in our tent. Yes, God is inside us. He resides inside of each believer. The Holy Spirit is inside each believer. But we're to pray. We're to read our Bibles. We're to have that quiet time with the Lord where we meet with God inside this tent, praying quietly in the quietness of our heart. And we should see it for what it is. It's where we get our direction, our provision, our power from God. This is all through Scripture. Elijah, when he was on Mount Carmel, fire from God came down out of heaven and he won this amazing contest with all the prophets of Baal. Why? Because he prayed. He was in the will of God because he prayed. Moses, when he's in the wilderness with all these heathens like you and I would be, and, and he's a heathen himself, he's disobedient himself, and, and he's leading God's people and he's praying and he says, God, don't take us up to the, to the place. Don't take us up where you're taking us to the promised land unless your spirit goes with us. Moses was able to be the leader that he was because he prayed. Jonah was spat up onto the shoreline of Nineveh and the whole city repents and gets saved under the message that God gave him to give the city. Why? Because in the belly of that fish, he was praying. He aligned himself with the will of God because he was praying and God's children everywhere today still align themselves with the will of God and what God has for them to do and gives them enablement and power and peace and encouragement and all that God gives his children when we pray. Jaron, if I were to give you a million dollars, but not give you the number for it so that you couldn't write checks out of that account, be pretty worthless, right? That's the way most Christians treat prayer. God has deposited his, uh, the blood of His own Son. We're forgiven, we're redeemed, but most people just they don't take time to learn how to write the checks. 
And what I want to tell us today is we ought to meet with God regularly. It's where so much of our Christian walk comes from. It hinges on whether or not we will talk with our Father and pray. A few summers ago, this is one of the last, this is the last out-of-the-country missions trip that I went on was to Guatemala. And uh, we did many things on that trip, but one of the things we did was we went to an orphanage. And the orphanages in that country are pretty sad. We were driving, I think if I'm, my memory serves me right, it was like three hours from where we were staying to get to this orphanage. And it was no easy road. We're all packed up, 35 of us on this missions team. We're all packed up on this bus and we're driving up and down volcanoes. I mean, literally, we were up and down volcanoes through creeks and rivers. I mean, it was a, it was a treacherous journey just to get there. And, and, and while we were on the bus, the agenda was for us just to pray while we were on the bus going to Guatemala to this, to this orphanage in Guatemala. And the orphanages are just sad. I mean, they're just pitiful. Most of the kids there, their parents have abandoned them purposely or their parents were so strung out on drugs that they, the government had to take their children from them. And these kids, it's, it's just pitiful. They live in these terrible conditions in these orphanages. All of them live with lice their whole life. They don't have hardly any clean clothes. And um, some of them don't even have shoes. And when they, get eight, when they turn 18, they're just sent out with the equivalent of what would be like 50 bucks. And that's it. Like, it's just, it's just sad. And we're on this bus to go minister to these young people in this orphanage. In this orphanage and, and, and we started praying. But the praying was different. It was no longer, Lord, help us minister to these orphans. Amen. No, the group started praying. And I believe, church, that we started in that group that day that we saw prayer for what it was. That God was inside of us. That if God was going to use us by any means that God would deem useful or necessary to, to minister to these young people in this orphanage, it was going to be because of God. And we started praying, and you hear one person just start weeping, and another person just starts weeping, and, and, and we met with God on that bus, and we prayed together. We just prayed, God, if there's, if there's any way that you would minister to these people in this very hopeless situation and save some of these young people, many of them are 14, 15, 16, 17 years old, God, use us. We understand that we're meeting with you because we, we must have you, God. If, if, if you're not leading us in what we're doing, we can just turn this bus around and go home. You must be leading us. Most of the people in that group couldn't speak any Spanish, so the way we would communicate the gospel was through a, a, a small skit, like a small play. And sometimes we would have music that could be playing that was in, in Spanish so that the kids could understand it. But way up in the volcanic mountains in this area, they don't even speak straight up Spanish. It's like their certain own dialect of Spanish. So we were performing this skit that would, that would demonstrate somebody being plagued by all the things in their culture that plagues them homelessness, orphanages, self-harm, drug and alcohol abuse, things that just plague their culture, things that made many of these kids orphans. We, we would depict these things to this individual that's in this little skit, and then the Jesus character would come and, and rescue this person from this. So it, was, it was this whole little skit and play that was done to communicate the gospel because we didn't know any Spanish and we were able to communicate the gospel in this way. And I was in this skit, and I remember... Looking, we were in this tiny little shack. It was a concrete floor. It just rained, so it was really wet. And, uh, and we're in this place. They're all piled up, all these orphans on these little broken plastic chairs. And I remember looking to one young boy in the front row. And this brown-skinned boy, Guatemalan boy, was white as a ghost. And I thought, something's not right with him. That poor kid, like he just, he just looked. I mean, he just like had this glazed, just kind of shocked and almost in shock kind of look to him. And, uh, and sure enough, once we finished the skit, 
the boy runs over and grabs the missionary that our team had been working with who, does, who did speak and does speak Spanish. And, and the little boy is just trembling. Young boy. I, he's probably six or seven years old. And, and church, you just can't make this kind of stuff up. He's trembling. He runs and grabs the hand of the missionary. And the missionary has no idea what's going on. He can speak Spanish. And this young boy drags the missionary, this adult man, tall man, up in front of everybody. And this boy with trembling hands and a quivering voice and his, and, and his tears coming out of his eyes. And he starts telling this story that the night before we got there, that boy had a dream of the exact skit that we had just performed before their very eyes. And, and this young boy, six, seven years old, is, is telling all these other orphans that are some his age, some much older. He's saying that, that what they're showing us is true because I, I had a dream and there's no way this would have happened. And, and church, I believe that that happened. And I'll just tell you, I, I will not say that all of them did, but the majority of the orphans at this orphanage, all the way up in those mountains of Guatemala, received the Lord Jesus Christ and made legitimate confessions of faith and were saved that day. It was amazing. But I believe that that happened because we were praying on that bus and we saw it for what it was. That God was inside of us. That we can talk with Him. It's where our encouragement comes from. It's where our direction, our vision comes from. It's where the enablement to even do those kinds of things come from. So Jaron, in your life as a Christian, you must pray. You must meet with God. God resides inside of you. You are saved. You are saved, redeemed sinner praise be unto god for that but as a safe person your your inspiration your vision your focus your encouragement your peace will come from prayer see prayer for what it is god is in you and you get to meet with the king of heaven in prayer let's never forget what that means look to verse 11 so the lord spoke to moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend and he would return to camp, but his servant, Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. So this last piece that I'll tell you, church, is if God is in your tent, you're in the company of a friend. If God is in your tent, if you are a repentant believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, God is inside of you, He's in your tent, you're in the company of a friend. And I'm careful when I say this because God is mighty. He is an all-consuming fire. He is a good, righteous, perfect judge. But if He's inside you, He's a friend to you. We know this was true of Moses. It tells us in the verse we just read that, that he met face-to-face with God and that God would speak to him as a man speaks to a friend. How does a man speak to a friend? It's easy. You rely on each other. You tell each other about the concerns of your heart. You share with that friend what worries you, what keeps you up at night, the things, that, the things that impact you. You share with them everything. You trust in them. You rely on that person. You know, the same thing was true for Abraham. James chapter 2, verse 23 says, And the Scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. But here's what I want to tell you. This was not just true for Moses And for Abraham, this is true for believers today. Jesus says in John chapter 15, verses 14 through 15, he says, You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends 
For all the things that I heard from my Father, I have made known to you. So Jaron, church, don't forget your status with God. Because, and Jaron, I'll tell you this, it's not a matter of if there will be persistent sins in your life that will discourage you. It's a matter of when those things come. And when they do, you will be tempted. The devil will try to tempt you to think that day on November 3rd when I was baptized and within that year prior that I made a confession of faith and I believe in Jesus, you'll start to doubt and you'll start to question. You're thinking, okay, if I was really a believer, the devil will try to get you to think things like, if I was really a believer, I wouldn't be struggling with this. If I was really washed in my sins, I, I would no longer be bound by this and feel this trappedness. And, and here's just what I want to tell you. Micah 7, verse 19, it says that He has cast all our, all our sins into the depths of the sea. So will you still commit sins? Yes. But as a believer, your identity as a sinner is cast into the depths of the sea. We couldn't get back to that identity even if we tried. Psalm 103, verse 12 says, As far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed our transgressions from us. Your identity as a, as a sinner, God seeing you as someone who has rebelled against Him, if you're a repentant believer in Him, you can't get back to that identity. You're washed. You are clean. God now resides in you. And you are his child. So church, keep the tent outside the camp. Keep it far outside the camp. Let's remember what our identity, identity is with God residing in us, what that actually means. Let's, let's meet with God regularly, knowing that He's a God that loves us. He's, he's chosen through the means of His Son that we've trusted in to reside in us. And we can meet with Him. He hears our prayers. He is the one mediator that we needed. And it, it took the form of Jesus Christ on the cross.